Like May said, welcome back. Your girl is back. Episode two. Kindergarten ain't readiness. Okay. We're uncovering another topic. These kindergarten kids that are coming into kindergarten are not ready for kindergarten. I'm not talking about everybody. I'm talking about like 85 to 90% of the children that are entering. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how has kindergarten changed throughout the years. We're going to talk about what parents can do to help their kids at home because they definitely should be doing that before they get to us. And I'm going to interview a few teachers that are like pre-No Child Left Behind, pre-Common Core, and then talk to some current teachers, okay? But first, let's get some history. So, the inventor of kindergarten is Frederick Frobel. He was German, and he created the term kindergarten. That means a garden of children. And what happens in a garden? Things grow. They need the sun. They need good soil. They need water. They make their own food, photosynthesis. Okay, so if children don't have the things that they need to grow, what happens to a plant when it doesn't have what it needs to grow? It dies, okay? And what happens when you don't get those nutrients and those things that it needs before it's too late? It dies. So, Frobel's philosophy was that, quote, children are like tiny flowers. They are varied and need care. But each is beautiful, alone, and glorious when seen in the community of peers. He really knew the importance of using manipulatives with children. He even made like a 500 set of wooden blocks for them to play with. He believed in song, music and movement, creativity, and math and science in his program. So, now dude is German. So know that the concept of kindergarten came to the U.S. in 1848. That was a long time ago, 1848, 1848. So I'm going to give you a couple of things that were going on in the 1840s at that time so you can wrap your mind around the time period differences, okay? So in the 1840s, Antarctica was just deemed a continent. And the first telegraph was sent. Neptune was just discovered. The first feminist convention was held in New York. Somebody invented kerosene. Crawford Long used ether to perform the first surgery with anesthesia. And if you're from Georgia, then you should know about good old Crawford Long. So let's fast forward 170-something years. So we got the No Child Left Behind Act of 2001, which affects what students are being taught, the tests they take, and the training of teachers, and how they spend the money and what they spend the money on in public education. Then you got Common Core that started in 2010. I got out of school in 2007, so I didn't get to experience what Common Core is from the standpoint of being a student of public school because I had already graduated from college by then. But Common Core was created by state leaders, governors, commissioners of education, but um, no current practicing teachers. So how can you create some standards, okay, and you had no input from any teachers, no current teaching teacher, no currently retired teachers, no teachers. The actual standards were um, created by Jason Zimba. Now, if y'all dig a little deeper, they 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 got somebody who was kind of highly qualified. However, he he was a lead writer of um, the Common Core standards. He was a Rhodes Scholar. 
He's a physicist and a mathematician. Now, to me, that explains like why there may be another reason why there may be gaps in ELA between kindergarten and first grade. Because your forte, like we talked about in episode one, your forte is science and math. You're a freaking physicist. So how deep is your understanding of uh, early childhood brain development? Okay. Um, I didn't personally read about his teaching experience, but if he has some, awesome. If he doesn't, okay. And don't get me wrong, I get the concept of Common Core. Wherever your child goes in the U.S., because people move, they should, in essence, pick up where they left off, with the exception of units, you know, how things and pacing guys work in the district and stuff like that. What the Common Core standards don't address, however, is how to prepare students for kindergarten. It starts at kindergarten, so we don't get to talk about preschool or teaching toddlers and what developmentally they should know. Um, There's also no self-regulation or social components that that children should know. Like, that's not a problem. Uh, So let's have a little scenario that we're going to work with. So we're going to imagine a first-time mom with a three-year-old, and she can't afford quality child care. Or, and she doesn't qualify for CAPS. Sound familiar? Okay. She has no idea where to start with preparing her child for first grade or kindergarten. So, by simply reading the kindergarten standards, there is a huge developmental leap between three years old and five years old and what children can be exposed to. So, there are zero guidelines for parents. Like, they don't have any idea without, like, being enrolled in a program, a high-quality program, or any type of schooling about what they should be or could be doing with their child. I've experienced several kindergarten and first-grade students having never left their grandma's house. I mean, never been to any type of child care setting, ever. And their first time being in a school is in first grade, and it's culture shock. I mean, running out of the classroom because they want to stay with their mom, their grandma, whoever. Now, while this third generation is being raised by their grandparents and they may be doing their best, kindergarten has changed since the 1840s. Kindergarten has changed since 94. Okay, when I was in kindergarten. And the expectation and the amount of documentation is ridiculous. Okay, so let's go back to our preschool mom scenario. So mom, she's going to look at those kindergarten standards and realize that there is no standard for colors. So all of my teachers that teach upper grades, there is no standard for colors. We're expecting, it's our expectation that you've already taught that to your child. It's a prerequisite skill. Color words are studied as sight words, but it's not a teaching requirement. So the kids got to get in where they fit in. Also, like now that I'm thinking about it, the kids really need to know their 2D shapes. Like, at least the first main four, circle, square, rectangle, triangle. And we tend to get triangle and rectangle mixed up. Because if we can't, if you can't tell me what those four are, how can I expect you to look at this new shape, okay, and tell me what two shapes were used to make this shape? So, there are a lot of prerequisite skills that we just need and nobody's talking about it, so... The U.S. Department of Education did a longitudinal study of K-1 teachers who taught between 98 and 2010. 
before Common Core, kindly, kind of, but mostly after No Child Left Behind, 33% of the teachers in 1998 said that students need to have some letter and number sense before they enter kindergarten. For me right now, that's like bare minimum. That 33% jumped to 80% for the teachers that were teaching kindergarten in 2010. So it's not what they're learning, but also how they're learning it. But here's the thing. In some states, kindergarten ain't even mandatory. So if kindergarten is not mandatory, attendance is not regulated. So if it's not regulated, you can bring your child whenever you want to, whatever time you want to, right before the cutoff time. Whenever the school may say, you know, we're not accepting any more children because, you know, it's too close to school being over. You could come in at that time every day without an excuse, without a doctor's excuse, without a handwritten note, anything. You can miss three days every week. You can miss the first two lessons of school every day. And the only person that's going to care is the teacher because we're trying to figure out, well, how are we going to teach you when you ain't here? But nobody's getting on the parents because it's not mandatory. And this is why. This is why people don't take kindergarten seriously. Because you let people walk in willy-nilly and do whatever they want. But you want teachers to take education seriously. But it's a two, two, two sides to the coin. I'm going to need the child to take it seriously. I'm going to need the parent of the child to take it seriously. The guardian, the grandma, whoever is looking out for the well-being of the child needs to make sure they look out for the well-being of the whole child. So what else has changed in this century? We got to talk about family dynamics. There are like six different types of families out here. You got same-sex families. You got adopted families. You got the third generation being raised by their grandparents. You got single moms. You got single dads. These things influence why or situations that may be affecting how children learn because they take their baggage with them when they come to school. They bring it with them, like I said in episode one. Okay, screen time. All this technology that they got and their faces buried in the screen. I read a study. I don't have the actual link to this one, but if you hit me up on Instagram, I can find it for you at Navajo underscore bands with a Z. Um, it said that screen time was linked to ADHD. I could believe that. Video games too. So there, when you're having more screen time, you're having less interaction with human beings. Um, and if you're having less interaction, that means you're not talking. If you're not talking, that means you don't know how to talk and how to handle situations that may arise at school. Uh, lack of an after-school schedule or bedtime. I've had so many conversations with students, and they tell me what they're watching on TV. They didn't do the homework. Uh, they tried to get their parents to do it with them. They ain't feel like it. Told them to go try to do it by themselves. Or they stayed up all night doing God knows what. So they don't have a bedtime. Nobody's putting restrictions on our kids when they need it. Bedtime is important. Their bodies are still growing. They're still children. They also spend less time outside. I've even seen not just my class, but other classes like you take them outside. They probably play for a few minutes and then they're like, okay, I'm hot. I'm ready to go in. What? ready to go in you ain't even get a good run a good sweat in nothing like what do you think we finna do when we get in here i need a break too you lost your mind or you have kids that as soon as you get out there they're trying to stand up under you wherever you when you move they move like that no 
No, it's not okay. The 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 sedentary. No, it's not okay. I'm gonna move on from that. So, like I said, I went to kindergarten in '94. So, the Georgia Public School Kindergarten Readiness in the area that I was in in '94 gave out these little sheets, these little prerequisite sheets. My parents got them the summer before I started school. They basically informed you of the things that your child should know or that they would like for them to know before they start school. Those things were to be able to write your first and last name, to know both of your parents' name, their real name, which is still relevant because I've tried to look kids up in uh, the system and you don't even know your mama's real name or her last name. That's, so that's still some relevant information right there. Name writing is relevant information. Um, your numbers one through ten. Realistically, I can work with one two, through ten. Uh, but my issue is not rote counting, which is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I need you to count ten quantities. I need you to count eight of these and nine of these and ten of these and see what's going on. Um, in ninety four, they wanted you to know uppercase alphabets and some letter sounds which is probably why you see a lot of you saw a lot of kids um writing or some of them still do and they're probably parents to people my age because we were taught to do this write your name in all caps and that's some hard stuff to unteach right there to to show a child how to write their name with just the first letter being capital um you also have to know your home address and your telephone number so, for schools that are very transient, how do you expect a child to know their address and telephone number when mama's phone always getting cut off and her number always changes and we move every six months when the, you know, the least rent special changes, we move. So, they're never going to know their address. So, just let that sink in. So, that may not be as relevant for us in 2019. So let's go back to our mom scenario. So she probably doesn't know that by the time her kid was two years old, just last year, that 80% of his brain was already developed. So trying to cram all this information in and waiting until he's five years old and sending him to school is going to be straight overload, shut down. Then we wonder where all this aggression comes from, right? And then like the government spends all this money on uh, early childhood education research, and there's still a big gap of information in standards or what they want the kids to know or versus their developmental, you know, like their zone of proximal development, all that good stuff. Yeah, but they don't have anything. You could ask the doctor, but they weren't trained for education. They know about brain capacity, but they don't know about how to teach what it is they need to teach. Um... Can they Google and Pinterest and YouTube? Absolutely. But their YouTube, come on, y'all. We just talked about screen time. We got to do better. We There's plenty of other ways. Um, but like I was saying, where are the national standards for the age groups of children who are now walking and talking? Georgia's done a great job, however, of creating the jail standards for infants all the way up to age four. And then at the age four, you know, when you're in kindergarten, you have G-Kids. So, 
It's developmentally based, but it's not implemented all child care facilities. It's pick and choose. So it's not consistent. It is a great resource for any parent in the country. So if y'all want to pull it up and you have a child that's an infant all the way up until four years old, if they fall anywhere in between that realm, you can look up G-E-L-D-S standards. The Georgia, child, I ain't worked in Georgia Lottery Pre-K so long, I forgot what the jail stand for. I'm going to, my bad, y'all. Jail stands for the Georgia Early Learning Developmental Standards. I'm really close. It might be development standards, but that's it. So if you're interested in that, you can go to the Bright from the Start website, pull it up. For instance, our mom can go to three-year-olds or however many months that is. You know, I've only been a mom for five minutes. So my child's nine months. So I haven't, you know, did all the little math. Oh, my child's 18 months, 13 months, 16 months. I ain't got there yet. I'm sorry. So you can go to Bright from the Start, pull it up. So for our mom with a three-year-old, she might see um, what the standards are. And they usually give like um, a continuum. So you can follow it all the way out and it gives suggestions for activities of how to build that, how to build that skill. The sad part about it is that it's not mandatory. So childcare facilities have free reign to pick their curriculum and implement it however they want, whenever they want. So they can do it all willy nilly like. So maybe if we had something consistent across the state that was mandatory, I would think that if it's developmentally based and you have a center from six weeks to 12 years old, that you would want to promote that, hey, we're using the jails. Like, I would think that you would want to do that. But hey, that may be a topic. Legislature and all that stuff may be another topic for another episode. So now this is the part you want to hear. Grandmas, aunties, uncles, mamas, daddy, cousin, little brother, big sister. How can you prepare that child? If you have any interaction with that child, let's figure out how we can do it at home. The most important thing I want you to know is that everything in education, even though it's the 21st century, does not take place on an app or involve a screen, especially for young children. That's how they become disengaged. We got to do hands-on tactile stuff. Just like Frobel said, the kids need to be touching stuff, manipulating items. Um, I'm going to give you some stuff you can do for free. If you don't have a Pinterest account, make one. Once you start typing in uh, certain keywords, that's all you're going to see for the next, what, six months? I just stopped seeing baby boy, baby shower stuff two months ago, and he's not months. Um, what can you do for free? Um, practice holding a pencil. Let them figure out which hand they want to hold it in. That's important. Let them experience writing with different types of writing utensils, crayons, fat crayons, markers. I know how parents feel about markers, but you can't just give a child something and let them go. You have to supervise. You have to supervise just like you do anything else. Let them practice writing. Even if it's scribble scrabble, let them practice coloring. Why are we teaching how to color in first grade or how to draw a picture? Like the imagination factor of kindergarten is gone. Why? It was taken out. Why? Because it's everything is standards based. You got to squeeze it in. So I can't teach you how to draw the standard. The standard might say and draw a picture of the phases of the moon. 
And kids can get up, get upset really easily because they can't do something. They done threw the pencil, ripped the paper up, threw it in the trash at five and six years old, and now they're discouraged. So please, let, let them draw some pictures. Give them some paper. Give them a notebook. Let, let them make some scribble scrabbles. It's okay. It's going to build the strength up in their hand for when we start writing these sentences and paragraphs in kindergarten and first grade. While you add it, practice name writing and identifying the letters and the sounds in that name. So, for instance, my child's name is Logan. So, of course, we're going to do a lot of work with the letter L when he gets to walking and talking. Talking real words, okay? And then we're going to talk about those letter sounds. Okay, if it's a vowel, then it makes two sounds. Um, please note... Parents, we know you're not teachers. It's okay. That's why we're here. We're just talking about it. You're not, you, we, we're not saying you did anything wrong. We're just trying to give you some options. But please note, not to put the swa at the end of the letter sound. What the fuck is that? That's the uh sound that you put on the end of letter sounds. For instance, L makes the lul sound, not la. Because when children learn it with the uh sound, for one, it's very hard to reteach how what sound a letter makes because there's 26 of them. Um, but most importantly, when they try to sound out words later on, for instance, lion, they may, they may say l-l-i-on, lion. So now they're saying the word lion because that's how they learn to sound out the word, the letter L, l the sound is ooh. So the best way I can describe to say it is to kind of make a, a whisper sound. Um, there are certain teaching videos that I do and do not use, like Bounce Patrol. I explain to my kids, like, they're in England or London or whatever. They're in another part of the world, and they speak differently. So they're going to learn stuff differently. So certain videos we don't watch because they tell you the wrong sound. They put the swa or the uh sound at the end of the word. Um, something else is free that you can do with your kids. Use everyday experiences to learn. Going to the grocery store, bath time, a car ride to your friend them house, okay? A ride to school, to school. Engage in conversation. That's the biggest key point. Our kids can't communicate. Nobody's talking to them. They're looking at their screen. Talk to them. Have a back and forth conversation that doesn't involve yes and no. Ask them questions about what they're seeing. Let them respond to you and teach them new vocabulary, okay? Point out things. Ask about colors. Ask about shapes. You can count objects at the grocery store in the tub. And most importantly, learn some new vocabulary, okay? Um, yes, that's a box, but that's also like a rectangular prism, okay? We definitely talk about 3D shapes in kindergarten. Sphere. Triangular prism, rectangular prism, all that stuff. So it's not, don't think that words are too big for these kids. Exposure is key. Um, what else is free? Teaching them to follow directions and pay attention. Give them two or three step directions to follow. For instance, step one, go to the bookshelf. Step two, get a red book. Step three, bring it over here. That's three step directions. Go to the bookshelf and get a red book and bring it back. Believe it or not, there are several children that can't get past what I'm supposed to be doing and where I'm supposed to go and what I'm supposed to get. Following two and three step directions can get you a long way.
Just having the willingness to try and follow directions. You can do anything. So basically, that's the most important thing, guys. If you can get your kids to follow directions, pay attention, and follow two and three step directions, you is in the game. Because everything else is going to fall into place. If you can follow directions and I'm showing you how to do it, you're going to be all right. What else is free? Early literacy is free. How to hold a book. Even if they hold it upside down. Let them know it's a front cover, a back cover, okay, that there's a spine, that somebody writes the words in the book, somebody draws the pictures in the book, um, how to read the pictures. The first thing kids do when they come to pre-K and you give them a book, I don't know how to read. Yes, you do. You can read the pictures. They need to be able to tell you out loud for each page. Take your time. Tell me what's going on on this page. Talk about the characters, the people or the animal or the monsters or whoever the story is about. Talk about them and make inferences. Why do you think she said that? What do you think he's going to do next? It can be a magazine. It can be whatever you think it is. Dissect those pictures because you may not. Books are expensive. Okay, but there's a lot of free stuff out here. You can go to the library and check the books out. If your child is really small, I would suggest going to get board books from... Why I keep wanting to say Salvation Army? I don't know. But Goodwill. Get some board books from Goodwill. Go on a Thursday. We can get them for 50 cents or whatever. However your community does it. Do it like that. Super cheap readiness. Okay, we did all the free stuff. Let's talk about the dollar store stuff, okay? Because all, all manipulatives aren't good manipulatives. Once again, all of these things require supervision. You can't just give it to them and expect them that what you, what you tell them they're going to do. Because in, in school, it don't work like that either. You have to monitor. You have to check on them. You got to ask questions. You got to supervise. You got to correct. Okay, so let's talk about Walgreens. Walgreens has a little dollar section, a little dollar aisle. And you can get a cookie sheet for a dollar. You can get some flashcards, alphabet or number. Get a pencil box for a dollar. And then they have some magnetic letters. I usually get like three bags of this. That way you can spell out multiple words or words that require more of the more multiple of the same letter. Because in the pack, you're going to have all the letters, all the numbers, one of each. A number sign, a period, a colon, exclamation mark, a question mark. These are all things they need to know. So use that. Use the flashcards in the box. Make them spell out these words. Simple CVC words. CVC words are consonant vowel consonant words. For instance, cat. K at. C is the consonant. A is the vowel. T is the consonant. C V C. I just made that up. But I'm gonna do better with teaching consonant the what actual what a CVC word is this upcoming school year. So make sure you have a lot of interaction with them. Connect with them. Don't have the TV on when you're doing this. Don't have the phone by you when you're doing this. Okay? Make it a routine. Pull out that box every afternoon at 4 o'clock. However you want to. Or when they first wake up after they have breakfast. However you want to do it. Uh, for fine motor skills, you can get Play-Doh. Play-Doh is definitely at 5 below. Okay, or you can make salt dough at home. The recipe is on Pinterest. Don't be scared to let these kids cut with scissors either. Scissor cutting is a learned skill that needs practice. It, cutting with scissors can be scary. Okay, I understand that. I, you feel like once they get it, they're going to cut everything up. But you're the parent. 
You put those scissors up when they're not in use. Don't leave them in their room. Put them somewhere that they're not even thinking about them. Let them understand that you only use scissors to cut paper. You only use scissors when there's a parent around, when there's an adult around. You only use scissors to cut when you say it's okay. All right? Once you set those guidelines and you monitor, you should be fine. So when they're cutting with the scissors, just let them use it in their hand. Make sure they're holding it right. Just let them open and close, open and close, open and close. Because after they do that about 20 times, even without paper, it's going to hurt. Because those muscles in their hands haven't been used like that. And they're, and they're weak. So it's going to hurt. But when, they, when you do decide to give them paper and you do start showing them how to use the scissors, draw some straight lines. Just let them see if they can keep the scissors going, cutting, opening and closing, and pushing them along that straight line. If they got that, start drawing zigzag, wavy, curved lines, okay? Um, also, manipulative and fine motor-wise, stack some blocks, stack some Legos. It's, once again, it's going to strengthen the arm, the hand, the fingers for riding longevity. Because at the end of kindergarten, you damn near supposed to be writing a paragraph, an intro sentence, some details, a closing sentence. Not something you copy off the board. The creativity has to come from what's, what the topic is out your own head. Whatever it is on that topic. Most importantly, I teach your kids to express their anger in a way that isn't aggressive or involves crying. This and allowing our kids to tell us no and disrespect us. Allow me to refer you to episode one, A Rise in Elementary School Violence. If you see that your your child is telling you no, not the terrible twos, no. I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. They're making it a big deal, a big scene. They're old enough to know what the consequences are, if they have any. You know it's a problem for you now. You need to be looking up a way to get it in check. Because when they come to school, it's only going to get worse. Because you're not even going to be there to rectify it. If you even rectify your child's behavior. Or when you get to the school, you act brand new. Like they've never done this to you before. We know you're lying. We know that. It's okay. It's not okay. But just know that we know you're lying. Okay? So you need to come with some strategies. That we can legally use. We're not beating your kids, okay? Don't tell us to take them in the bathroom because we need our certificate, our lights, our water, our gas. It's not going to happen. You got to think about maybe see an outside therapist. Talk to your doctor. See what your insurance cover. See if you can have him talk to somebody. Go back to Pinterest. See if there's some parenting things you can do. See if there's some techniques, some bean bags, some water play. Something they can do to curb that anger. We've got to allow time for interactions with other children, too, outside the house. Not just brother and sister, especially our kids that's, that are only, ch- only child like I was. Take them to the park. Take them to church. Let them go to children's church. They need interaction with other children. That's how they're going to build their social skills to speak instead of snatch and ask and talk and just all that good stuff. Uh, as a parent, I... As a parent and as a teacher, I want you to talk through issues with your child and explain why things are happening. If you respond with because I'm grown or because I said so or because I'm your mama, we setting our kids up for failure. Tell them why they can't do it. They need to. I have to do it as a teacher. Tell them why it's not okay. 
Because next time, there probably won't be a next time. They're going to say, oh, you know what? This could happen to me or this could happen if I do, if I ask her, can I do this? Once they have an understanding, they can apply it to other things. This generation is already isolated and they feel entitled. So just cutting them off and telling them no, it can't be the answer. They're naturally curious, try, even if you don't have time, to explain why right then and there. Tell them you'll tell them why later and break it down for them on their level because they need to understand. Just tell them. Talk through it with them. If you can't talk it through, talk through it with them, what makes you think they're going to talk through an issue with a, a stranger child when they get to school that they don't even know and they bumped into them on accident and now somebody going home with a black eye? When you simply could have explained why something is happening. And don't be afraid to be consistent. Challenge your kid. They're going to surprise you. I promise you. And teachers know what I'm talking about. Challenge that child who you think's not doing nothing. They answer that question. So now you got your eye on them because you know they can do something. Oh, they're going to surprise you. I'm going to recommend you guys a resource. It's called 10 Reasons Why Kindergarten is Too Late for Early Childhood Development. It's by the Child Care of Southwest Florida. If you got a chance, it's free. Um, you got to download it in a PDF file. It's a couple pages, so it's a nice read, weekend read. Take a look at that. Now that we've heard all that, let's get into our two guests. Don't worry, they're not super long like last time. So, let's get into it. Yay! This call is now being recorded. All right, so today's guest, first guest is Miss JJ. Thank you so much for being my first guest. How are you doing? I am good. I am good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on my first podcast. All right. And you are off for the summer, right? Yes, off for the summer. Um, I had a little leadership meeting at the end of May, but other than that, I'm done until July. Okay. So, you know, our topic is kindergarten readiness, but we know they're really not ready. So, of course. Um, tell us how long you've been teaching, Ms. JJ. Um, I have been teaching for um, this this year, just ended my fifth year. So, in August, mm-hmm. I will start in my sixth year te- teaching first grade. Okay. I'm one up on you then. That's it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, can you describe the demographics and the socioeconomic status of your school? Okay. Um, so my school is um, 90% ELL. And mm. that, yeah, that is English language learners. Um, they speak. Spanish. Um, most of my class, they are Hispanic kids with Hispanic parents that speak Spanish or broken English. Okay. Um, 10% um, of it would be like, you know, your African Americans, your Caucasians, and mm-hmm. Asians. Uh, but the majority is ELL. We are um, Title I. Um, so, Title I is basically funds that you get from the state based on your 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 demographics times your poverty level. So do you know what uh, amount of them of your kids receive free lunch at your school? Like we're a hundred percent. I know that oh, Wow. Wow. We're not one hundred percent. Um we're about ninety four percent. Okay. Yeah, but 100% speaks volumes, oh, okay? Yeah. It, it, <laughs> and, it, and it's happening. It's, it's 
that's it's that's there. Need to know as an educator, like wow. And I think this is like the second year of that, second or third. Yeah, the second or third year of that. Wow. Mm. And you still got to punch in a number, like for what? For what? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, as a first grade teacher, what skills do you prefer that students already know before they come to you, and why do you say those skills? Okay. So, um, I I kind of thought about this in the in the form of each subject. Okay. So, um, like for reading, um, reading on grade level. You know, um, we are really big with fonts and Chanel um, mm-hmm. levels, so um, it's very important that they come to first grade either on or around grade level because, you know, we're rolling, you know. Right. It's hard to reteach what they should already know in in kindergarten. Um, so reading on grade level, and, and that and that is like fluency, you know. You know. Mm-hmm fluently and not choppy or, or like a robot, like I tell my students, um, using strategies to decode words, to um, to self-monitor, um, and comprehension. You know, there's a lot of times these parents just, they help their child read the words, but they don't know why Johnny sat down when it clearly said Johnny sat down because he was tired. Like, they mm-hmm. cannot comprehend so all of those go like they go on great um okay what about math math number sense um and in what in what way because i know what i teach and what they're supposed to know but what in what way would you be expecting them to to be okay so um number sense as far as like identifying numbers um, Ooh, which number, girl? Like, I, I, I'm just thinking about my own class, I guess, my last class. So, like, like, give me a range, like a number range. So, one of our standards would, is to um, count from 0 to 120. Right. So, um, a lot of times, our parents, our parents are traditional Hispanic parents that don't put their kids in pre-K. So, mm-hmm. when they put their kids in they're getting their pre-K in kindergarten. So they're already right. a year. You know what I'm saying? So um, so it's like if, if they – if they're already a year behind, like they're just now identifying numbers in kindergarten. And now um, you want us to use them just knowing the number seven, but they, but they don't know that it, it goes before eight and after six. Mm. You know, it's a disconnect. Sequence. Yeah, yeah. So, um, just just counting, you know, skip counting, tally marks, and just problem solving and critical thinking skills. You know. Um, now, tally marks. Uh, where I taught, when I taught first grade, we learned tally marks in first grade, and then when I switched to kindergarten, I only taught first grade for one year. But when I switched mm-hmm. to kindergarten the next year, we didn't do tally marks at all. I think they took it out. Because we used to do nouns, verbs, and adjectives too, but the mm-hmm. past two years it's it's not there. Like right? yeah. so, yeah. yeah we I don't know if y'all are doing first. it or. Mm-hmm. So we do nouns, verbs, and adjectives in first grade. Those are grammar standards for first grade writing. Oh, they moved them up then. They pushed them up. Mhm. Right. But it's that's a disconnect there because we teach nouns 
like first quarter before December. But then we don't teach verbs until fourth quarter. And you would think verbs and nouns, they go hand in hand, same thing mm-hmm. with adjectives and nouns. So it's like kind of put all over the place. And it's like a disadvantage because of the language barrier that I have in my school because of, mm-hmm. our, right, the students just don't know a lot of English. So, so it's a, with the population that you have, um, putting them in school later, do you think that kindergarten should be mandatory or should there be some kind of guidelines with the attendance? Because I've had a problem. I think a lot of us kindergarten teachers have had a problem with chronic late and chronic not showing up for three days at a time, and then you want to ask me what your child know. I don't know. You tell me they've been with you for three days. You tell me what y'all know. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like kindergarten should be mandatory wherever you go. I mean, mandatory because, you know, when you go to first grade, they have to be on some kind of level playing field. And if they don't know as much as they should, then they're already behind. Um, and then that's, that's put on the, the teacher to try and, like, catch them up. Um, so, yeah, kindergarten definitely should be mandatory. Um, stricter guidelines on absences, definitely. I mean, I've had a student that missed 27 days from January to May. Mm, that's critical. And the but I I feel like the school as our schools in general they um they are at a disadvantage because state is not that hard on absences because if they were we wouldn't have as many problems and issues. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the state need needs to have a harder punishment consequence whatever it is on the parents or students, whatever the case is, because it gets um, put off on the the teachers and counselors to try and work with that student and bring them back up to their missed work. And it's just a lot of pressure, unnecessary pressure on the the teacher when students miss work in school. It's funny that you say that because I remember a couple years ago, we have to, you know how you got to keep your notes from your parents and stuff when they mm-hmm. change transportation or when it, I remember I had a kid miss uh, a lot of time and he was like, I went to the doctor. I was at the doctor. I was at the doctor. I was at the hospital. I was like, okay, what is that for those? And <laughs> so I went to the front and I was like, what, what's the procedure? What are we doing? Because I hadn't been there that long. I was like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, tell mom she can just write a note and say he was at the doctor. Really? Yeah. Yep, that's we just handwritten handwriting notes. What that's gonna do? Yep, that's how it is at my school. Um, yeah, it's not. Well, it is at, a state issue then. It's a state yeah, thing. Yes, because we have these like um these templates that we can send home to our um, parents if their child returns and they don't have a note, a written oh. note, or you. Uh, I'm excused. It's like, please check the, the following doctor, um, visit, illness. Like, they can check whatever. Right, and, whatever. And it be excused. You know, so it's, I think the state really needs to get in more because what, what more can we do besides continue to teach them what they're here to learn, you know? And then it's like, I can meet you where you are, 
and I can move you somewhere. Everybody's going to move somewhere. But I may not be able to move you to that standard because you ain't here. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's a, that's a misconception that a lot of people don't have, that they have that's not in the school system is that um, you look at these numbers by these schools and they may be the bottom of the bottom or whatever the case may be, but their kids are moving. Like these yeah. are goals based from the state, what the state thinks your school should perform at, your grade level, whatever it is, the mm-hmm. state those goals and so if you if you don't perform at that level it looks like your school is so terrible but really your kids are moving everyone is going to to move everyone's going to have mm-hmm. you know like whether you just go and show up and just teach barely whatever everyone is going to have you know? so that's a that's something that people don't look at when they look at the numbers and where these schools fall and and things like that because, I mean, it's just more to it. It surely is because I, I know for a fact that some of the schools that have been in danger of closing, those are where some of the best teachers at. I don't know if they stuck there. I don't know yep. if people don't know it, but just because you don't see it on numbers, those kids are moving. Mm-hmm. Such and such kind of third grade was reading on kindergarten level. He reading the books by himself. And he may right. not be chapter books, but baby, he is reading. He wasn't reading exactly. a lick for the past three years. Growth is growth. Like what can parents do to prepare their children for kindergarten, and when should they start? Um, some things that I feel like parents could do um, is simple things like environmental print, um, mm. reading things at Walmart, you know, reading the sign at Walmart, um, reading the sign Home Depot or McDonald's, like getting them familiar with letters and numbers and words in a fun way, in an outing that, you know, you're already going to do. Um, just number identification, letter identification, you know, simple words, um, hat, cat, like they should be easy words. Yeah, these simple, you know, words like that. Um, and also, um, Georgia Pre-K is free. Um, I feel like parents should utilize that and just support their growth in um, that program. I definitely agree. Um, is there anything else that you might want to add or say to the people about the topic? Um, nothing else I want to say. Um, I did uh, find it interesting that this was a topic of discussion just hearing your background and your um, views. Um, so I was excited to come in and get my input and take on the questions, you know. Well, thank you so much for being the guest. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you came through. Yay! No problem. I would love to come back and um, talk about something different, standardized testing, you know, Ooh, whatever. <laughs> okay, so I'll keep you in mind. Today. You have a good summer. All righty. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. This call is now being recorded. All right, and our next guest is Carol. Carol, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, and thank you so much for having me on your show. Y'all don't even know how hard it was for me to get in contact with my last person. 
but she came through. So, Miss Carol, can you tell the people how long you've been teaching and what you've been teaching? Okay. Um, I have been teaching for 23 years, and I have had the opportunity of teaching kindergarten for about 15 years. I've taught pre-K for three years, and I've taught, uh, I would say, first through fifth grade within the last uh, six years. So how what what um range of year what years would you say you taught kindergarten? Um well Roughly. I started mm-hmm, I started in 1996 and I taught kindergarten all the way till about I would say about 2007. Okay. And that's mm-hmm. when I got out of high school. Yay. Um <laughs> what the school the schools that you were at, or I don't know if it, you you know you were concurrent at one um, site or not, could you describe mm-hmm. the social economic status or the um, demographics of that school or those schools that you were at when you taught kindergarten? Okay, I would say the majority of the schools that I taught pre um, kindergarten and most of the other um, grades were at a low socioeconomic, so they were probably Title One. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I have had numerous years of teaching in schools that were not Title One, that were actually in high, um, I guess you can say. Achievement. Well, they were in high achievement, very wealthy areas. Okay, affluent. Okay. Do you think that since our our topic is kindergarten readiness and we want to know what happened like pre-Common Core, pre-No Child Left Behind, that's why I specifically looked for someone who taught in the 90s, if that makes sense. So what types of skills do you remember teaching um, in kindergarten at that time? Well, if if I can recall way back in 1996, I'm going to say I remember the kids had more tangible centers, activities. They even had rest time in kindergarten. Um, they had housekeeping. Some of the things that they have now for pre-K they had in kindergarten mm-hmm. back in the 90s. Um, the children were able to be children. They played but they learned how to play together. Um, you know, there was like this little saying, everything I learned, I learned in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So they learned how to tie. They learned how to zip, really how to be self-sufficient. You know, they were taught how to just do basic things so that they can operate and really be prepared for regular school. Um, even simple skills as how to use glue how to use scissors, how to cut, how mm-hmm. to cut on certain lines, um, how to follow just simple, basic directions. And um, listening skills were really important then. So we had a lot of listening centers where the kids would wear the headphones and mm-hmm. would listen and do the little activities uh, that we gave them. Um, we used a lot of big books. Um, the centers that we had, the children had a lot of um, – Literature, you know, so literacy was a really big component. Um, I remember 
writing um, poems on large chart paper, and we would use and we would dissect that poem mm -hmm. the entire week. And through the dissecting, the kids will recognize letters, you know, if it was a capital letter, lowercase letter, they would identify words, sight words, or words that were just words that they needed to learn just, you know, by looking at them. And um, and then they started learning how to read just through those basic skills that they were taught. So um, we weren't rushing them. It wasn't a thing of, well, you need to know this for first grade, even though we were preparing them for first grade. But they felt more, I feel as though they were nurtured more. And the parents were a lot more, you know, they were very, very supportive. So things that we needed in the classroom, parents would come in and participate um, in their center activities. And just everybody was on board then. You just took me down like memory lane. Like everything that you said is actually, as a teacher that teaches kindergarten right now, everything that mm -hmm. you said that you guys did is what is lacking right now. The tangible items, the rest time, the free play, the time. We don't have time anymore to teach um, those skills that make you self-sufficient and independent. And mm -hmm. you still have parents that come in and hang your book bag up for you and take everything out and asking me where everything goes. And then I redirect it to the child. He knows where his phone goes. He knows how to yeah. get up his book bag. And, you know, it's nice to do those things for your child because you love them. But um, mm -hmm. they know where this stuff goes, Mom. Like, they know the routine. That, that's why we mm -hmm. create a routine, so they can do it. But right. um, I remember having a center um, in my class, and I remember when we were talking before, I actually was in a class with five kindergarten, five first grade, and five second grade students. So I had the same teacher for three years, mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. had a center that was like a woodworking center. It was real yeah. hammers, real nails, real pieces mm. of wood. We had real, um, you know, and you could hammer it in. We had goggles. We had gloves. You could hammer mm -hmm. it in, pull it out, and basically, you know, you just putting the nail in to pull it, basically, put, putting mm -hmm. it in and pulling it back out. But I still mm -hmm. remember that, and I'm 30 years old. Now, was that mommy's story? Not at all. It, uh, my school right up the street. How about that? Well, that's why you want mommy's story compared to what it is these days. That's for sure. But then again, my teacher was just, Jesus, awesome. I don't know. She chose to do that. I'm pretty sure y'all had more free reign back then to just choose more, you know, what you were going to do and how you were going to do it and what mm -hmm. things were in your classroom and how you were going to implement it. We, yeah. uh, I guess you could say we have that option. It's just, is mm -hmm. it standard space? Because, um, mm -hmm. like I'm actually talking about earlier in the show, because of where I'm going to place this, colors is not a standard. And we get quite a few kids that I'm asking them just to simply point out to me what is yellow. You don't know what yellow is. Why? Are you hungry? Uh, yeah. Not many, but quite a few. In my past four mm -hmm. years of teaching kindergarten, I've had quite mm -hmm. a few, not this year, but the past three years, I've had kids come in and not know all their colors. Color words. Mm -hmm. So for those kids who don't know the colors, you know, I'm going through it with them via color words because it's not a standard. I can't go back and teach you patterns. I can't go back and teach you colors. That is a prerequisite skill that I need you to already know, unfortunately. Yeah, we not teaching that. Oh, wow. Wow. So for my babies that come in and have never been to 
any kind of child care that been at their grandmother's house their whole life, it's it's culture shock because one, you know, you're with a stranger and a whole bunch of other children you've never seen before forever. Seems like forever. Mm-hmm. We're not taking yeah. a nap. You're probably crying the whole time. I've had kids running out the room trying to chase after their parents uh, for two weeks because this yeah. is brand spanking new. I understand child care is expensive. I understand quality child care is expensive. But mm-hmm. but sometimes staying at grandma's house, I see how whoever can do it for free mm-hmm. ain't the best mm-hmm. way. I know. It's it's all a matter of um, finances. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same. You know, of course, when you're working and you've been educated, so you know the value of education. But for right. those just trying to make it, and, you know, just trying to put food in the kids' mouths or in mm-hmm. their own mouths, that really doesn't take precedent over their education. Do or it does take precedent. It actually does take precedent because that's not a priority. Survival is. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that in, this, in our state, in the state of Georgia, kindergarten is not mandatory? Do you think it should be mm-hmm. mandatory? Well, you know what? Um, because it's not mandatory, we still have children going into the first grade who are not able to identify certain letters and words, so they're that much further behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say kindergarten should be mandatory. And it's unfortunate that in the state of Georgia, it isn't. And I believe that's part of the reason why we rank so low, because if you're saying that school, if you're saying kindergarten is not mandatory, and the child doesn't show up to school, um, you can't hold them accountable. And that's really where they're learning about um, responsibility, being at school on time, going to school every day. And that really becomes part of their lives because that means that they're going to show up to work. They're going to show up mm-hmm. to work on time. You know, so if you're teaching them that what's supposed to be their job is not important, at um, such a young age, I think that's something that they would actually take into adulthood. So I do think that kindergarten should be mandatory uh, for that reason. And then secondly, considering the fact that if they don't have an opportunity to go to a a preschool or pre-K program, then this is really their only opportunity to learn the basics Mm -hmm. or the foundation, or they'll probably be set up for failure. I if just no one backwards that Georgia has a free program for pre-K, and then there's a big gap for kindergarten and because it's not mandatory. There are no attendance. There's no strict attendance laws in the state, period. When they start telling me uh, you could just have the parents write a note and, and they could say whatever they want to say in the note for why the child missed four days, like, no doctor's excuse needed. You can just say, oh, we went. I woke up late every day for three days straight. Sorry. Like, I've mm-hmm. had people say that. And I'm just like, you woke up how late? Like, you couldn't bring them before the cutoff time? Like, we couldn't well, get nothing know, in for four days? Like, okay. Well, guess what? That's why the penal system is such big business now. Because, you know, we say the pipeline to prison, it's, it's true. Those who are illiterate, it's like the gap will get wider and wider. And if the grandparents don't really step up and, you know, really reinforce with their own children before they start having children the importance of education, um, 
it's going to actually get worse because I'm finding that you have more and more younger mothers having children or young girls having children at a younger age. So that means that they really haven't had a chance to be educated themselves or to really understand the importance of work ethics, um, really building a life for themselves. And then here it is, you're bringing a child in, so you're having to depend on your parents. And unless the parents are about education, and that may have been an accident, that the girl got pregnant, which is a probably a small percentage, um, then they're set up to, you know, fail. And the system is really supporting that, supporting failure. So if you're really not about education and going in and getting what you need and being productive and being supportive of your child and what they're learning, you're actually um, setting them up for failure. And, um, you know, the fact that I told you that I've been teaching first grade through fifth, you know, when a child comes into the first grade and they can't read, they're struggling, they don't know the letters, just as I mentioned to you before, why kindergarten is so important. Um, a lot of times those children who are not reading in the first grade, their parents really are not that much into education. It's almost as though we have to train them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes to talk to parents, you know, pull them to the side and say, somebody need to whoop you. Somebody need to whoop your tail because the way that you're handling your child and the fact that I've sent all these notes home to you, I've mm-hmm. called you, you haven't responded, your baby is failing school, and you're not doing anything about it. You're right. You know, they're children themselves. So, I mean, when I see that, it's really sad, and you try to do the best that you can, but reality is reality, and you can't save the world. And um, as much information that we have that's available to all of us, people really are not utilizing it, you know, and reading. Instead of reading about what you should be helping your child with at school, People are busy using social media to find mm-hmm. out what's the latest outfit and what's going on and, you know, celebrities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is what it is, and I just keep them in my prayers and just do the best that I can as a, a teacher and someone who works in the community. Now, you missed this is not on the docket because I, I send my people questions in advance. Now, this question wasn't there, but I did think about it when you were talking about um, young mothers being younger and younger and them being children themselves. Now, with these abortion bills that they're passing or that, they, that, they, that they're putting through legislature, that means mm-hmm. that we're probably going to have a lot of kids that aren't going to be probably well taken care of because they, people didn't do what they were supposed to do in the beginning. And they didn't want to. Especially in Alabama because they have the harshest law. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that, I, I don't want to go too off topic, but I feel like because kindergarten probably will, is a lot of children's first stop for school and not a preschool or, you know, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. the, whatever generation that is, uh, a couple years from now, they're going to be lost. I don't even know where you're going to be able to start because this generation is so entitled right here already. They don't want to hear no. You can't tell them no. They don't listen to mama. I don't. How are you going to listen to me? I'm nobody. The 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 lack of respect for another adult, mm-hmm. another human being, mm-hmm. another mm-hmm. child that's sitting next to you that's sharing your space, your breathing air. It's not there. Yeah. So they have a parent who didn't even want you in the first place. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what we well, 
Well, it's a it's a systemic um, problem that we have, and um, I thank Donald Trump for being who he is because it's really allowed us to really see what people think of us. And um, unless people are just going to sit around and bicker about it, um, either we're going to learn and say, okay, we we have to do something about this in terms of educating ourselves. But then you can't, if you're going to school to be educated, you already are behind. So I don't really know what to say. You know, seeing that I've been in the education system as long as I have and I've seen how things have changed for the worse, mm-hmm. I really don't. The only hope that I see that's available right now may either be the public, I'm sorry, the private school or charter schools. Mm, charter schools. I just read an article before we got on the phone about how they mm-hmm. wasted and misused all this charter school money because they lost their charter before the school even opened or all the stuff that they that they were supposed to do on their checklist, they didn't do any of it. So it's kind of like we got the money now. We do what we want. And I'm closing this school. I'm going to take the money and run. And there's so many people think that going to send their child to a charter school is the answer. There's people in there that ain't even got degrees. They got degrees, but there's people in there that speak that don't even have a certificate. They're not even official. That's what you well, I can't really speak on that. I mean, I know I've experienced different systems, one just regular public, and I have a son who was in a charter school. He's gone through two different charter schools. Um, well, really one, because the one that he just finished was middle, and his principal even said that the school was operating like a private school. I taught in a charter school, and it was run, you know, predominantly by, you know, white people, and they set the standards and the rules for what they wanted for their their charter school. And, you know, as the years progressed, things changed. And now, interestingly enough, um, the school that was once all white and maybe had like a good five to ten percent of, um, you know, diverse students now mm-hmm. it's almost ninety nine percent Hispanic. Mm-hmm. And those mm-hmm. same people are no longer in those schools. So the charter is kind of like swapped. It doesn't really exist the way that it did originally. And um, at the same time. You know, my son is going into another charter school, which is a high school, and I can see that it's still predominantly white. So those people who started the foundations and what have you, they are working those schools. I mean, literally, those schools are run almost like private schools. And mm-hmm. then I've a theme school, um, and that theme school, based upon what the focus is at that school, even it's changing a little bit. And part of it is due to the fact that a lot of people who were – uh, behind the school 100%, a lot of them have either retired, um, you know, have died off or what have you. So we have new blood that's coming in that, that has gone into the theme school, and because they don't know the history mm-hmm. of that school, it's not the same either. The thrust is not the same. So those things that cause people to be drawn into the school, they're now inviting more people from the community into the school, whereas before there was a waiting list. Um, there was a certain expectation, a certain standard right. of 
students, you know, when you come to school, you made sure you were clean, you were well bathed, you know, your child was looking proper. Now the correctly. Right. Now the principal has to come on the intercom and on the television in the morning showing kids how to put lotion on their bodies because the parents oh. aren't taking care of them. I mean, it, it has changed that much, you know, to the point where I was shocked to even see a prince, you know, the principal right. doing what? You know, what, what whose child is that? Because that was that was something that would be never heard of. Mm-hmm. Showing no child how to put lotion. That's like a you, you're putting me down. You're degrading me by telling me something like that. But that's how a lot of the schools have changed. Um, and then those people in certain communities, because they know that the schools have changed, are now putting their children in private schools. And if the community is not strong enough to maintain that public school, you know, and have a strong influence on that public school, uh, the school goes down because then they have to bus kids from other areas to go into those schools or the schools close down. And, you know, from there, you have a limited amount of really good teachers in the schools because how many good teachers are going to stay in schools where they are being threatened, disrespected, mm-hmm. uh, put down, threatened, um, you know, kids not even listening. They're not going to stay there that long. So you're going to end up with certain teachers who are either going to burn out quickly mm-hmm. or they're really not going to get the best education that they possibly can because you can only go for so long with that type of mannerism. Well, you have to kind of study. So, Ms. Carol, for the sake of time, here's my last question. What can parents do to prepare their children for kindergarten, and when should they start? I mean, I'm a firm believer of parents being their child first teacher, but when should they start preparing them, and what, like, for free, basic, what could they be doing with their their child one-on-one, or, you know, mom and dad could be doing with their child to get them ready? Well, I'm going to tell you straight up, and this is kind of like off the cuff a little bit, but it actually doesn't start after they're born. It starts before they're born. So mm-hmm. it starts while the mother is, when she finds out that she's pregnant with a child, she needs to watch her diet. She needs to watch those, you know, people that she's around. Um, just her, what she talks about, how is her energy what is her whole disposition because if she's mad or if she's stressed all the time, that's going to affect her baby. You know, we can say what we want to say, oh, yeah, you can just read or you can do all these things after the baby is born. But if she's not eating well and she's eating junk food, her baby is going to be a junk food baby, meaning mm-hmm. that this whole DNA is not going to be one that's going to be able to receive the best education that he possibly can. That's one. And two, if she's not getting enough water, um, certain nutrients, there's going to be a deficiency in the baby. So no matter how much you read to them and how much you do whatever, they will not be able to receive mm-hmm. what's being given to them. Nor will they be able to sit still long enough to even get any knowledge or education. You know, that's why we have so many babies now who are ADD or they just can't seem to focus. And you're like, what's wrong with this child? I just told you this. They they just can't because mm-hmm. internally they they weren't they weren't developed correctly. And right. um, 
So that's I a powerful statement because I do believe that a lot of things that are going on with our younger kids. Uh, I had a child mm-hmm. with a disorder where she was going through puberty in kindergarten and mm-hmm. she was starting to grow hair in her private parts. And this is what mom was telling me. And she was starting to, you know, I need some deodorant and, you know, whatever. whatever. She was super tall. So I kept looking, I, and I kept looking at her records, like, am I looking at her birthday correctly? Like, it was like, did, did did she get hit? She didn't get held back. She had never been to pre-K because of whatever happened, you know, what, before she got there. Mom thought she was in pre-K, but Dad wasn't putting, did, you know, he was lying. Come to find out the whole time, Cause the, uh, she was staying with Dad, and Mom was working, and she thought he had her in school, and she wasn't even in school. So when she came to me, she knew nothing. So. Anyway, yeah, I think it's what we're feeding ourselves, and they're picking up on that. So if you eat McDonald's or eat all these GMOs, I do think that does affect your DNA, also your DNA of a of a an infant, a child, an embryo, um, some kind of way. Yes, it does. I mean, it affects us even as you know, as adults. I mean, if you eat enough of the wrong foods, you can't really focus yourself. Right. You find yourself just fat. You know, you can't get the weight off. I mean, just a whole lot has, has transpired with the diet. So that's that's the number one thing. But let's say that you do, you know, eat right or you're trying to be conscious of how you're taking care of your body while you're pregnant. Well, while the baby's in your stomach, I would even suggest reading, talking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my child was at a advantage um, because I was teaching kindergarten while I was pregnant with him. And, you know, of course, in kindergarten, all you do is talk. Yes. You're reading stories, you're reading directions, you're just constantly reading and talking. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So the baby hears that, you know, so as the baby is developing in in, uh, uterine or however you want to say, um, they're hearing all of that. So they already have an advantage. So reading, um, talking, and laughing, just being happy um, affects the baby. And then once the baby is born, I would say to continue to talk to it. Talk to it and about anything. Talk. Right. Just talk to it like you can talk to any other human being. And, you know, when they laugh, you laugh or you do things to make them laugh so that they're happy. Mm-hmm. We want happy children, too, you know. Um, and then continue reading to them because, like they say, if you read to them, eventually they will read to you. That's more of a loving parent. So parents need to find some way to find joy in their lives because it's a blessing to have a child, and we need to treat them as such. Mrs. Carol, thank you so much. I'm so appreciative that you called in today. I, I really am. If you ever want to be a guest again, just let me know. We appreciate your opinion. You have a, a lot of knowledge in there, a lot of experience that we might want to tap into for another topic. So thank you, thank you, okay. thank you. Well, I'll be more than happy to come back if you need me. And thanks again for inviting me, and I'm hoping the information I share is helpful to someone, somehow. Indeed. You enjoy your summer. All right, thank you. You do the same. All right. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. If Frederick Frobel were here today, he would think we made a mockery of his concept of kindergarten. 
I mean, we're moving so far away from the simplicity and the practicality of it that we're becoming problem creators versus problem solvers. By that, I mean, yes, we absolutely love our kids. We want them to do well. But without a compass that actually works, parents who really care become lost and overwhelmed, just like children during their first week of school. I hope this podcast reaches some parents today, like the parent that's actually crippling their child by hanging up their book bag and unpacking it every day. And, uh, you know, the parent that's struggling to find the time to work with their child when in actuality, we make time for the important things and people in our lives. Let's make school, attendance, and education a priority. I hope this reached the parent who spends their days partaking in illegal activity among their children. I pray for restful and peaceful sleep in their future with the TVs and the iPads and the lights off. I hope this reaches the parents that were looking for a common ground to start their child on and didn't overdo it on workbooks. I was told this summer that choosing worksheets is a learned skill. And I absolutely agree. Early intervention and education is just as necessary as early detection of any health problem. But hey, maybe medical isn't a priority in your family either. But I'm not a personal assistant. You can pay me enough for that shit. I leave you with this quote from at Adventures in Kinder on IG. When teaching gets tough, remember to reach deep down, deep into your desk. And grab all that candy you've been hiding in there. (laughs) Until next time.